Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to Investigates, the podcast that lifts the veil on some of Australia's biggest crimes and mysteries. I'm April Glover, and today we're diving into an extraordinary missing persons case. A case that has baffled authorities and family members for close to 23 years. Someone somewhere knows something. Someone holds the key. Someone knows where she is. Someone knows what happened to her. There is no way that woman could have left the country, changed her name and acted the way she did before she left, and no one knows what she was doing. In 1997, 51-year-old mother, Marion Barter, set off to the UK for a year-long holiday from her home on the Gold Coast. After a few postcards and calls home to her daughter Sally, Marion was never seen or heard from again. A tiny ad placed more than two decades ago may hold the key to solving Australia's most baffling missing persons case. Marion was a dedicated teacher and a loving mum. She had so much to live for. So why did she never return? She kind of indicated to me that she was um, going to stop doing all the writing of postcards and everything because it was making her exhausted. And she said, I'm trying to have a holiday and I feel like I'm spending my whole time writing to everybody. Did she start a new life? When Marion returned to Australia after supposedly vanishing with a new name unbeknownst to her family, she described herself on her incoming passenger card as a housewife in Luxembourg. Did someone kill her and steal her identity? Or did she simply just disappear? To this day, nobody knows. I've spoken to Marion's daughter, Sally Layden. Sally has fought long and hard to try and find answers. And we might just be on the cusp of finally learning what happened to Marion Barter, the lady who vanished. Sally, can you tell me a little bit about your mother, Marion, and your best memories of her? My best memories would be that she was a, a fantastic gardener and had a really good green thumb and was a really great cook. They're two of the things that stay in my memory. And I remember mum having lots of Tupperware parties in the 70s and she'd make these yummy little asparagus bread cups, which I really loved helping her make. I'm actually pretty lucky because I do have her cookbooks that she'd had from when she was young, probably early 20s, I'd say, by the handwriting and some of the newspaper clippings that are in there. There's some Margaret Fulton from the late 60s and all her favourite recipes like pavlova and my grandmother's Christmas cake and um, things like that, which I'm really happy to have. And um, she was very much uh, loved fashion as well and was quite a talented dresser, I would say, for somebody she was quite unique in her dressing and I think that's probably where people 
refer to her as being a little eccentric because of the way she dressed, but she had her own style and I only actually learned through The Lady Vanishes that when mum's sister was interviewed for that, she spoke about how when she was younger, she used to design all her own clothes and have clothes like a, a dress, I don't know, like a seamstress, I guess, make them for her, which I didn't know and mum had never told me that. So that was really nice thing to hear and learn about my mum through this whole story and journey mm-hmm. I'm on. I remember too, she used to model a fair bit for a local boutique in the Blue Mountains that she used to shop at a lot. But I think by far was her passion was for teaching. She was always the last to leave school and Owen and I spent most of the afternoons playing on the playground while she prepared for the next day. So that's kind of like in a nutshell what I have fond memories of mum. Marion's life on the Gold Coast was good. She had two adult children, Sally, who was about to get married, and a son, Owen. Her love life was a bit tumultuous. She'd been married three times. But Sally remembers her mum as always having a positive spirit. Marion also worked as a teacher and was even presented with the Queensland Teachers Excellence Award in 1996. But something sinister was happening behind the scenes. She was a dedicated and accomplished teacher, but something happened not long before she went missing. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened there? Yeah, look, I guess that's a million dollar question. My recollection was it around it was around March of ninety seven and something changed at TSF or Southport School where she was teaching reception class, which is the equivalent of prep. Mum had just won the teacher award of excellence in the November of nineteen ninety six. And um, on several visits to her place, when I'd have dinner in early 97, she opened up to me, usually crying, and um, particularly about two individuals at TSS that had been awful to her. One night I went over there and she was a complete mess, and she um, told me that someone had accused her of touching boys. I ended up staying with her because I was really concerned about how upset she was. And she fell asleep on the couch next to me and sort of like an exhausted way. Her hands were, her hands were laying next to her leg and they were sort of facing upwards um, beside her. So um, and it was shortly after that event that she told me that she was um, intending to resign and sell her house and go on a year-long holiday to the UK. Was this very out of character, her, for want to go on a year-long holiday? Do you think this would have happened had she not been accused of touching a boy in class? I don't know if the touching of the boy was the whole reason and rhyme behind her doing that, I think that was the icing on the cake because it had been going on for quite a while. There was a lot of tall poppy syndrome going on at the school since she'd won this award and there seemed to be a little bit of controversy about her role and what her role was compared to other people who were superior to her and things like that. So I think that was just the the bullet, I guess, that... Um, yeah, planted the seed for her to do that. So that was it. Marion sold her home and booked a round-the-world trip. She was going to visit the UK and Europe and ride on the Orient Express. Marion said her goodbyes to Sally and Owen and said she'd come back for the wedding. So your mum was off on a trip to the UK. When she spoke to you last, did you ever get the feeling that it would be the last time you saw her or was it more of a see you later, I'll be back soon? I never thought in any of the conversations that I had with her, whether she was in the UK or before she left, that I'd never see her ever again. There was no 
tone or hint that that was her agenda whatsoever. Um, she spoke very openly about what she wanted to do. She wanted to go on the Orient Express. She wanted to go and see lots of things like Jane Austen's house and she had a few things that she'd like to see over there. So I was kind of of the opinion that I also knew how sad she was at TSS. So I was of the opinion that um, she definitely should go and have a nice time. Her house was a four-bedroom house with a swimming pool that no one ever used. So I kind of got that as well. I mean, you wouldn't just leave your house for a year and rent it out if you're planning on downsizing when you returned anyway, which is which was her plan. Um, she said to us quite openly that she wanted to buy a unit at Main Beach on the Gold Coast when she got back and she was downsizing. So gave us all a little bit of her furniture as well, which were quite big pieces that probably wouldn't fit into a unit. And the rest of it went into storage. Does this sound like a woman who had no intention to ever come home? For Sally, it certainly doesn't. And if Marion was going to stay over there forever, she would have let her children know. When your mother did leave, she didn't just seize all contact, did she? She did send postcards and she rang home. At what point did all the communication stop? Yeah, look, I mean, she was actively contacting everybody. She even, you know, in all my investigation that I've done, I've found out that she even wrote postcards to the boys in the class. Um, and one of the little boys came home apparently and said to his mum, you know, Mrs. Barter wrote us a card and they read it out to us in class today and she was having a lovely time. She wrote to her second cousin, to my mum's, my grandmother's sisters, uh, sorry, my grandmother's cousins. Um, she wrote to all her sisters. She sent Deirdre, her, um, the oldest of the sisters, um, a birthday present. Um, I had two postcards and a letter that was quite detailed. Um, looks to me like she'd been writing it on the plane because it was on note paper from a hotel that she stayed in in Japan on a stopover. Mm. But there was a lot of information in there. Um, a lot of care, a lot of love, you know, a little bit of anxiety, I feel, in me getting some things back to TSS that she wasn't sure she could remember if she paid for them or if she paid for them with petty cash. So to save any drama, she wanted me to get them back to um, TSS. And that's another important part of this story because I personally don't think someone who was planning on disappearing forever would care too much for a $50 set of kitchen scales mm. for me to get back to the school. And she mentioned that probably on at least six or seven occasions in both the letter and on the phone call that she made to me, which was the last time I spoke to her. But after a while, the letters and the postcards just stopped. Sally wasn't getting calls from her mother from payphones and far-off lands anymore. It was like she simply vanished off the face of the earth. Months went by and Sally's wedding was fast approaching. Surely she'll be back for that, Sally thought. But she was wrong. She bought the cake, she bought us a beautiful present and she came over with her friends and they helped us cater it for the evening. Um, she booked us the chapel to get married at TSS because um, you needed to be an old boy to get married in the chapel and I loved the chapel because all the pews were facing inwards and just a gorgeous church um, and one of her last requests to the school principal who was Bruce Cook at the time, she um, said to me that she walked in there and said, I've got one one, ask, one last favour to ask Bruce and he said, anything for you, Marion? And um, she said, Sally would like to get married in the chapel and he said, absolutely no problem. So mm. she arranged all that. She knew the date we were 
getting married on, and I'm I'm 100% sure that she would have come if she was able to. So, and that was to give everyone a bit of an idea time wise. Um, she left in the 23rd of June 97, and Chris and I were married on the 24th of October 98. So, about 16 months after she left to go overseas. At what point did you go to the police and report her as officially missing? Well, after um, we had the last phone call with her on the 1st of August, she kind of indicated to me that she was going to stop doing all the writing of postcards and everything because it was making her exhausted. And she said, I'm trying to have a holiday and I feel like I'm just spending my whole time writing to everybody. So she said, I'm just going to have a bit of a break from writing and again, understanding that back in 97, there was no Facebook, there was no Google, there was no mobile phones. So we couldn't just contact her as easily as we wanted to um, or could in today's world. But um, So I was kind of happy for her to just go off and have a holiday and I, I was totally understanding of that. She told me that she postponed her trip on the Orient Express because she was having such a lovely time in the UK just pottering around. So I was really happy for her. She sounded like she was having a lovely time. Then Marion missed yet another milestone. Her son Owen's birthday came and went, and there was still no sign of her. And then we didn't hear from her from that 1st of August for a few weeks, and I reckon probably around the sixth week of not hearing from her, I started to get a bit worried. And then it just sort of dawned on me that I had no idea where she was in the world. I had no idea. I had no idea where she was staying. I had no contact details for her. So that started to sort of dwell on me a little bit. And then my brother's birthday was coming up in the October and I, I sort of thought to myself, if she's going to contact, she'll definitely contact Owen for his birthday. That was the 18th of October. And um, I spoke to Owen on his birthday, but um, he hadn't heard from mum. And um, being that it was where a day ahead, I thought I'd call back a couple of days later to check if um, he ended up hearing from her or getting a postcard, and he had said he he got nothing. After nearly two months of no contact, Sally decided it was time to do some investigating. And what she found out was absolutely chilling. We had a friend over for dinner at our place, and we were sort of sitting around the table and we were talking about that, and my girlfriend suggested that we call the bank and see if we can find out if she's using her account. So I did that, and when I rang the lady at Kelly Banking at the Commonwealth Bank, she I said to her, my mum's overseas travelling by herself. She's 51, and she's missed my brother's birthday, which is really out of character, and we're just wondering if you can check if she's using her account, okay? To which the woman said, I'm really sorry, I can't tell you anything due to privacy. And when, then she paused and said to me, did you say your mum's overseas? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, my God, there's money coming out of her account in Byron Bay. And then she just proceeded to blurt it out to me what it, what was going on with her account. So in a nutshell, she told me $5,000 had been drained from her bank account in Byron Bay and also in Burley Heads three days in the middle of that period of time. So we went straight to Byron Bay Police where I put in a report for missing persons to... Constable Graham Childs, who took the initial report for me on the 22nd of October 1997. Being that money has played a really significant role at this point, 
Did you worry that your mum's identity may have been stolen? 100%. Absolutely. Because I've, I've questioned this and I said this to the police at the very beginning as well. If it was me wanting to take out my money, why wouldn't I have just electronically transferred the money or transferred it into a different account? Why would you go to the trouble of driving to the bank in Byron, which is busy, parking your car, getting out, going in and withdrawing $5,000 every single day? Why wasn't some report made on those transactions at the bank either? Like I've had so many people, hundreds of people who work in the banking industry saying that should have been written up, it should have been flagged because that's money laundering activity, that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm dumbfounded that I gave the constable grandchild this information I just received from the bank the night before and seemingly that none of that is in her file. They called me a week after I went down to the to Byron and they told me that they'd located my mum and spoken with her and that she didn't want anyone to know where she was or what she's doing. However, that's not on her file either and grandchilds cannot remember ringing me. He can't remember telling me that information and, you know, I've said to people numerous times, that's a phone call you never want to hear, you know, so I remember it word perfect. Did you hear that? Police told Sally just a month or two after Marion went missing that they had located her mum and she just didn't want to be found. Sally couldn't believe this. Her mum was alive, starting afresh and refuses to have anything to do with her children. It just didn't make any sense. You mentioned the police said that they had contacted your mother and she said that she didn't want to be found. Was mm-hmm. this case closed in their minds after that? I think, and um, just if you read the police document too, it sounds very much like they just labelled her very quickly as a woman in her 50s who's been married and divorced three times. And, you know, they've even gone as far as making statements about how we're satisfied as a family, that this is something that she would definitely do. Yeah, look, I'm sorry to say, but I never said that. And I have never claimed that that is something normal that my mother would be doing. If anything, I've said, you know, she wasn't a very street smart lady and she wasn't very savvy um, on the streets and how she could have organised her you know, change her name and, and come up with some crazy idea that she was going to vanish off the face of the earth, she definitely would have had somebody have to help her do that if that's the case. Here's where the story gets really, really mystifying. Not long after Marion disappeared, police learned that she'd changed her name in May 1997 via d She changed it to Florabella Natalia Marion Ramakel. Now, if you were going to fake your own death and start a new life, would you change it to such a unique and memorable name? You mentioned twists and turns in the case. There, there are two particular things that stick out to me. One, I think you learned earlier on that your mother actually changed her name. And two, mm-hmm. there's records saying that she actually arrived back in Australia not long after leaving. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I mentioned earlier that she spoke to me on the 1st of August. We just got home from skiing at Threadbow and she called to check on us and make sure that we were safe and well because she heard of the disaster down there. So um, 
that phone call was fine. She was at a pay phone. The money kept dropping out and she kept calling me back. Um, we had a really nice conversation. I just bought my wedding dress, so I was really happy to tell her that. And, um, yeah, I was trying to get in the police force, ironically, at the time, and I had my interview confirmed. So, yeah, so I was telling all of that information. She was asking about Chris because he'd gone for another job as well, and she was really keen invested in what we were doing. And um, the money kept dropping out. So she, I reckon she probably would have called back at least four or five times, and I remember saying to her, where are you, and I'll just call you back. And she said, no, no, I'm out having scones and tea with some little old ladies that I've met, having a lovely time. So that was the last time I ever spoke to her, yet her passport shows that she flew back into Australia on the 2nd of August, the very next day. So there's been a lot of controversy about that as well because people are questioning. She told me she was in Tunbridge Wells in the UK, which is about an hour and a half drive out uh, east from London. Mm. We've just visited there in May this year to retrace her steps. So I have now a clear understanding of where she was and the places that she was at, which is really awesome to be able to visualise that and walk those steps that she took. So for her to get from Tunbridge Wells back into London and on a flight back to Australia within 24 hours seems very unlikely there's been a lot of talk about where she was. Was she actually in London? Was she in mm. a different country? Getting back to the name change, yes. I only found that out in 2011. I found out that she changed her name to a name, which is Florabella, Natalia, Marion, Ramakel. Ramakel is spelled R-E-M-A-K-E-L. So that was quite an interesting choice of name, we all think, today still for someone who wants to vanish. Um, I've been noted as saying as well, you know, if it was me, I would have changed my name to Jane Brown. I certainly wouldn't be calling myself Flora Bella Ramakel because that's a name that no one's ever heard of and um, stands out quite quite strangely in the mm. world of, of, of what we have today. So what we have found out in our investigation with Channel 7 is um, that there are only a handful of Ramakirls who live worldwide um, anywhere, about 108 to be precise. And um, one of our sleuths, Joni, she actually found an article in a newspaper called the Le Courier newspaper, which is a French um, newspaper here in Australia um, that was in the newspaper in 1994 um, it was written by an M.F. Ramakel, who was 47 at the time, and he was looking for love, a potential marriage. Um, was written in French. My mum could speak French. Uh, she used to teach her boys French at school. And there is a post office box which is linked to Lennox Head, which is only about 20 minutes up the road from Byron Bay, and a phone number that's linked to that ad as well. So we went on a mad search to see if we could find an MF Ramakel who would have been 47 in 1994 and we found one and he lives in Luxembourg. We have, or I have seen mum's customs card when she returned to Australia and what it said on that customs card that her name was Flora Bella Ramakel. She was married, living in Luxembourg and her, her occupation was home duties and that she was only coming to Australia for three days 
However, her passport never left Australia again. It has since expired. And police reports have told me that every search that they have done in both names has come up negative. So there's no driver's license. There's no electoral roll. There's no new passport. There's no new name change from the Ramakil name. So, well, I mean, we've been very clear in all our in all our comments about Ramakil. The, the gentleman in um, Luxembourg, we we don't know if any if he has anything to do with Mum's case, but it seems very strange coincidences, I guess, that all of those things kind of match up for us. So mm. we've had people even say it could even be a case that he has had his identity stolen and someone's just made up his name and put it in a newspaper over here. So there's there's lots of things that we don't know that we're trying to get um, clarity on. It just seems like a very odd name to choose. And one of the things Brian Seymour and I were talking about when we were driving around in, in Luxembourg um, in May earlier this year, when we went over there, was that um, how did how did my mum know that Ramakel was predominantly a family name from Luxembourg? Mm. So much so, it was on her passport incoming customs card that she lived in Luxembourg and she changed her name to Ramakel via Depol in, um, on the 15th of May 1997, so literally six weeks before she left to go over to the UK. So back then there was no Google, right? Mm. So we kind of have questioned that and gone, how would you know that? How would you know that Ramakil was even a name of existence and that it was predominantly a family name from um, Luxembourg? So, so yeah, so that's, that's something that we stumbled across in our searches and um, we're aware of it, but we, we have nothing else to mention about that really at this point. We've got no further information that we can um, comment on, but... Um, yeah, it's just a very odd, odd thing to do. And I particularly think it's odd that she changed her name by Depol because there's a record of it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like I think if you were planning on vanishing, I'm not sure you'd go to the effort of changing your name by Depol because even I was talking to my husband last night about this actually and all of the bank account details. So there was money sitting in the Commonwealth Bank account that was care of the Barclays Bank in Mint Street in Rye, which is in the same location as um, Alpherson and and um, Tunbridge Wells, where she was visiting from. We have postcards from her being there um, in the same sort of location, and yet the name on that account is in Marion Barker. So I kind of question that too, that she had the passport changed to Ramakel, but everything else was in Barter. When I called the Commonwealth Bank. I had no knowledge that her name was changed to Ramakel, so I was only asking for Marion Barter. I wasn't mm. asking about Florabella Ramakel either. So, you know, April, there are so many, so many weird things that I don't know, I, I can't understand, and I, you know, I've been living a life of question. Sally is now 46. She's had children of her own and has a beautiful, full life. But of course, something has always been missing. In spite of what she'd been told by police and even by family members, Sally still refuses to let this go. She won't give up until she finds her mum, whether it be a trace of her DNA or her alive and well. Do you have hope that you will hear from your mum again at some point? 
look, you know, I, I hope every day that my mum will just walk through the door and, you know, come and give me a hug and I can introduce her to her grandchildren that she's never met. Mm. But um, my reality check on that is I don't think my mum's alive. I don't think that that is a possible outcome for me, unfortunately. So as sad as that is to say, it's I feel like that's my reality check. But um, that's probably not going to happen. You but, mentioned, you know, sorry, go on. You never know. Yeah, you, you never know. know. Like there's a there is a um, a gorgeous lady who's become quite good friends with Sandy Ratcliffe, who um, holds a was started up a page um, in memory of her sister Joanne Ratcliffe, who was a still a very long term missing little girl mm-hmm. from um, South Australia. Most people know about, and um, she has a. Well, in Joanne's memory, she's created a um, project called Leave a Light On. Mm-hmm. And um, every year on the 21st of October, we ask people to turn their front porch light on in hope that people who are missing or people who have left home and worry that they can't come back to their home or that they're going to be questioned or not welcome home to leave your light on so that those people know that they're welcome home and they can come home anytime they like. So I'm a big supporter of that. I'm not the only person with a missing person, especially a long-term missing person. There's there's about 2,500 of us now. So um, I'm certainly not in this alone. But, um, you know, things like that just give you a little bit of hope and a little bit of a flicker that, you know, there is a possibility that she could come home. There is a possibility we could find her happy in life. But I just, my gut feeling and all the information that's before me, I can't see that that is a possibility 23 years down the track. Like if my mum is happy and living a life without me, that's quite tragic really for any child to have to deal with. Mm. And then on the on the flip side, if she has been murdered or a, a crime has been committed, that's not good either, you know. So of course she could have died of natural, natural causes as well, but... We probably need to find a body to be able to ascertain if that's the case, and we don't have any, anything um, on that level at this point. So, but we're trying, we're trying our best. So, trying to get some answers, and um, hope, hopefully, we will have some answers before too long. Do you think that there is someone out there that does know something that could solve this case after twenty-three years? One hundred percent. Someone knows something. I've been saying that for years. I'm like, someone somewhere knows something. Someone holds the key. Someone knows where she is. Someone knows what happened to her. There is no way that woman could have left the country, changed her name and acted the way she did before she left and no one knows what she was doing. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree that someone knows something. It is heartbreaking for you, Sally, but there has been a little bit of a little bit of joy lately, isn't there, with the police investigation being reopened or her being put on the missing persons list. So there's a little bit of hope. Yeah. Yeah, like mm. that was amazing. So the homicide um, review team in New South Wales actually decided that she is in fact a missing person. She hasn't been ever seen nor cited by New South Wales Police or any documentation that they have, um, which puts in question the phone call that I received in 1997. Um, but moving forward, they've said, no, she's definitely a missing person, so she needs to be on the National Missing Persons Database. And, you know, the the reality of that is if she's not on that database, which up from 2011 to 
two months ago, she wasn't on any database. So that means that her DNA wasn't being checked against any Jane Doe's or bones that they found or bodies that they found that mm. could be of a missing person. My mum's DNA was not being tested. Well, actually, my DNA was not being tested because that's what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently just gave a pair of ballet slippers to the new head of the missing persons um, unit in New South Wales, Inspector Detective Glenn Brown, who is currently got my mum's ballet slippers in the laboratory and they're trying to um, get some samples from that so they could create a profile from that um, and see if it is actually mum's DNA that they will have, mm. which would be amazing because obviously if it's her DNA, they'll get a better reading against those um, deceased that are unidentified. There's over 100 boxes of bones sitting in the Glebe morgue wow. of long-term missing that have not been identified. So. Mm. You know, I had my plight to, you know, get those bones tested and make people aware of what's going on. And, you know, I think with the new missing persons unit that has been established, um, they've been amazing to me. I'm really happy with um, their communication and their um, their help. So I definitely see it on the up um, as far as that goes. And fingers crossed that, um, you know, we can start testing against Marion Barter is now an official missing person on the National Register, thanks to the publicity of Channel 7's podcast, The Lady Vanishes. Sally is bewildered as to why her mother suddenly seized all contact with her family and friends. She just needs to know her mum is alive, and she has had years of worry. If you have any information about Marion Barter or Florabella Ramakel, please call Crime Stoppers on one 800 triple three triple zero or contact tweed heads police Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.